So our reading this morning is taken from the, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. As you'll see on the screen, if you have the standard print church Bibles, you'll see that on page 982. And the large print Bibles, page 1494. So whilst you're finding that, I'll just remind you of where this passage comes. Jesus and his disciples had been in Gennesaret beside Lake Galilee. And we take up this account this morning as they are about to leave for Tyre and Sidon. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus didn't answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it isn't right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. And your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that very moment. Thanks, Martin. Um, let's pray as we come to God's word and study it together, shall we? Father God, we do thank you that you promise to make yourself known to those who seek you, who seek you with all their hearts. And we do pray now that you would give us hearts that are desperate to, to seek you, to find you. We pray that you would help us to understand as we read your word, as we seek to know you, or if we do know you already, to seek to know you more deeply and to understand your love for us. We pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, back in uh, the end of July, we witnessed... Um, Annie Hugh being baptised here at LCBC, um, and she shared about how she came to faith. Um, had quite a mixed background. Her mother is Buddhist. Um, she went to a Muslim school. Uh, she also mentioned how she got involved with horoscopes and feng shui and superstition and stuff. Um, but then an ex-college friend she met up with uh, was, a, was a Buddhist, became a Christian, and introduced her to, to Jesus Christ, uh, introduced her to praying to, to God. Um, later on, she explained how she met the tailors and came to LCBC. And she said God opened her eyes to see that it wasn't actually all about her. It was about Jesus who died for her sins. And she said in that um, testimony, um, I jumped for joy when God did this for me. I'm glad, she said, that I can rely on him alone. And all worries that I have, I can pray to him. It was quite lovely, wasn't it, to hear her speak in um, just simple terms of her love for Jesus. 
also the uh, church weekend away. If you were there, you would have heard um, young Tia Khan, um, 12-year-old, talk about her experience of moving up to secondary school, uh, living as a Christian, and the natural way in which she described her faith um, and told her friends about Jesus, which was, again, a great encouragement to us all, and also a bit of a rebuke to, to those of us who've been a Christian for many years, and so maybe have lost that, that joy in the Lord. But both these examples show that faith is not about how much we know. It's not about how, how long we've been a Christian. It's about how much we trust in Jesus. That's why Jesus said, let the children come to me, for of such is the kingdom of God. He was not saying only children can become Christians, but all you need to demonstrate is a childlike trust in Jesus. Those of us who are, are parents will know that when children are younger, they, they, they trust you because you are their parents, and um, um, that's all they need to know. They need to know you love them, and therefore they trust you. As they get older, they start to think they might know a little bit better. But the power of faith is in a childlike trust in God's love and power, rather than in ourselves. And that is why this account uh, that we're looking at this morning of Jesus meeting a Gentile woman is deliberately placed by the writer, uh, Matthew, after the story we looked at last week. That was about Jesus meeting the Pharisees and experts in the law. There's meant here to be a clear contrast between these two stories. The Pharisees were meant to be experts. They had all the teaching, all the experience. And yet, they failed at the basic level. They didn't trust Jesus as the Son of God. They trusted more in their own rules and traditions. The Gentile woman we read about this morning was someone who the Pharisees didn't think God's people should even mix with. And yet she's the one who demonstrates great faith. Well, before we get into the passage, just to look at the context here, which is quite important. Um, Jesus and his disciples had crossed the, um, uh, the Sea of Galilee, which is, uh, is up here to a place called Gennesaret. That's what we looked at last week, where uh, the Pharisees came all the way from Jerusalem up to see him and confront him. But now Jesus is moving up here to Tyre and Sidon. So this is now real Gentile country. We're told he withdrew there. Um, the account in Mark's Gospel of the same incident, we're told that he entered a house, he didn't want anybody to know that he was there, but he couldn't keep the secret for, for very long. Um, and as soon as this woman heard that he was there, she's there at his door. Well, this sermon series we're in the middle of is called Living by Faith. So what do we learn from this unlikely woman and this short episode about living by faith? What is it about her actions that demonstrate a faith that is pleasing to God and which we would do well to emulate? Well, the first thing that we see is that she trusts that Jesus is Lord. Have a look at verse 22 if you've got a Bible handy. It says, A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. And three times in these verses, she addresses Jesus as Lord. And this first time, she has the title, Son of David, which acknowledges that he's a descendant of King David and must be the Messiah the eternal king who was promised by God to come from David's line. She accepts that he is God. 
that he's the Messiah who was sent to save the world. She accepts he's a master and that she is just a servant. And so we're told in verse 25 that she knelt before him. Lord, again she said. She accepts as Lord, he can do whatever he wants. And she is willing to do whatever he commands. And that's the basic thing that the Pharisees didn't accept. They thought that Jesus was just another a rabbi uh, who would actually be reporting to them. And we do live in a society, don't we, where people are becoming less and less respectful towards those in authority. Whether it's in government, whether it's uh, in our schools, um, whether it's even in the church. Because people want to be lord of their own lives. And so when it comes to accepting as a lord of the universe and that each of us should bow to, to him, a lot of people don't want to accept that. But here the woman is clear that even though the rest of her people worship other gods, she knows in her heart that Jesus is the true God, a true Lord. And if he is Lord, then she is not Lord. And therefore she has absolutely no right to befo- appear before him. Um, he could very easily dismiss her from uh, his presence, and so she comes with this attitude of humility. Have a look at it. She doesn't come and say, my daughter is sick. What are you going to do about it? I've been waiting for more than four hours. Uh, it's not acceptable. No, she comes recognizing she has no grounds for asking anything of Jesus. She's absolutely dependent on his mercy. And so she says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My, my daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. If we are Christians here this morning and enjoy the privilege of a relationship with God himself, it's not because of anything that we have done to deserve that. In fact, we we deserve the opposite. We deserve God's judgment for our rejection of him, for going our way. But instead, he's been gracious and he's forgiven us. And so we came to him and we asked him to have mercy on us, to forgive us and to give us new life in Jesus Christ. And he caused us to be born again. And we've witnessed this morning Will and Ali bringing Monty before the Lord and giving thanks for his life. We've heard them make promises that um, they want to teach him about Jesus. They want to bring him up in the Christian faith and, uh, and pray for him. But there's also an acknowledgement that however good parents they may be, they cannot make him a Christian. They are asking that God would, in his perfect timing, have mercy on Monty and grant him a relationship with Jesus. And if we are Christians, we should never forget that when we come to God with our requests, whether it's for somebody's salvation or for someone's healing or for some other issues you are struggling with, that we do so appealing to God's mercy. Now, appealing to God's mercy doesn't... um, mean that God only begrudgingly gives us what we ask for. That we have to somehow convince him of the worthiness of our request. I think sometimes we have this picture of God um, like one of the dragons in Dragon's Den with all this money and gifts in front of them. And we have to convince them that our request is worthwhile. God is not like that. Because the second thing we see in the Gentile woman is that she trusts that Jesus came to serve. 
I said before that uh, when it comes to accepting that there's Lord of the universe um, and that each of us should bow the knee to him, that's not positively welcomed by, by many people who prefer to be Lord of their own lives. And authority is often rejected in society. But part of the reason for that may be that people don't see in those in authority a desire to serve others, a desire to do what they have been appointed to do. Jesus is very different. Even though he's Lord of the universe, Jesus came to serve and not to be served. It's a great pleasure for him to serve his people. And the Gentile woman comes to him and doesn't just bow before him and ask him, you know, what can she do for him? She comes to him and asks that he would do something for her. He asks for his mercy, but she brings a request to him. She asks him to heal her daughter. And she's clearly quite desperate about it. We're told that she cries out to to Jesus. She shouts very loudly. She's in an agitated state here. She's so concerned for the welfare of her daughter. There's a persistence in her requests. The imperfect tense of the verb here implies she kept shouting. It wasn't just a one-off. And the reason the disciples tell uh, Jesus to send her away is because she says she, she keeps crying out. They're not necessarily saying that Jesus shouldn't uh, heal her, um, but just get on with it so she'll shut up. Well, interesting enough, Jesus doesn't say anything to start with. But finally, he says something quite strange. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. A bit, a bit abrupt, a bit dismissive. You might think, even when in the desperation the woman says, help me, Jesus replies, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now what, what is he saying here? What is, what is going on here? Basically he's saying that his mission was to proclaim the gospel to the Jews firstly. They are lost sheep in the sense that they've gone astray from God. Jesus was the Messiah they had been promised to bring them back. He's the one who would descend from Abraham, and he's been sent by the Father for that purpose. From the Jewish nation, the gospel would then go out to all nations. But that wasn't Jesus' mission. That would start after he descended to heaven, when the Spirit came down, and then that would be the job of Paul and the other apostles to, to spread the gospel. And if we turn back a couple of chapters to to chapter 10, verse 5, um, look at the the command that Jesus gave to his disciples when he told them to go out and preach the good news of the kingdom. There he said in verse 5, Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, Jesus didn't forbid their preaching to all Gentiles. Um, he did, however, narrow their focus to the areas where they would be more receptive, those who knew the law, God's word, who were expecting the Messiah to come. Likewise, when Paul started his missionary journeys, he went first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. So right now, Jesus is saying he cannot give to others what has already been promised to the Jews and in the same way, he makes a comparison that you don't give your children's food to dogs because they're just pets. 
Now, some dog owners might disagree with that, as you can see from this picture here. Um, The difficult thing about this passage is that we don't know the tone in which Jesus said it. You know, some commentators think it might have been more of a question. Um, Is it right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs? I mean, knowing Jesus as we do from reading the Bible, he most certainly would have said it with a smile and with compassion. He certainly wouldn't have been calling the woman and her compatriots um, uh, in an insulting way. And the way in which the woman responds is very interesting. Have a look here. Um, Because the literal translation, and that which is seen in other translations, is not quite as it appears here. Um, It says here, yes, it is, Lord, as though uh, she's contradicting what Jesus has said. Yes, it is right to toss the bread to the dogs. But actually all it really says is, yes, Lord. It's almost accepting what he's saying. The needs of the children must be met. Care for the dogs shouldn't interfere with that. But then she goes on to appeal. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Dogs do eat crumbs that fall from the table. Well, I can confirm that from our own experience. We now have a living vacuum cleaner in the kitchen. Makes life very easy. Does sometimes forget his place as well. The woman accepted she didn't belong to the privileged people of Israel. She had no prior claim, but she's saying, surely there will be some crumbs. What's going on in this interaction here with Jesus seems to be Jesus testing her. Is her faith genuine? How, How desperate is she about her request? How willing is she to persist in her request? How much does she really believe that Jesus can and wants to give her what she's asking for? Going back to the passage last week, we asked that question, didn't we? We saw the contrast between a man-made religion and a heart of faith. And the question is here, still to her, does she have a heart of faith? Because if she does, Jesus won't ignore her whatever nation she comes from. The prophet Joel in the Old Testament said this, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. Then it won't just be the Jews, it will be everyone from all nations. The woman has called on the name of the Lord here, and Jesus responds as he promises. And so in verse 28, he says, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And when Jesus grants a request, it is granted immediately. We're told, and her daughter was healed at that moment. Now, we don't know exactly what her illness was. The important thing is the faith of her mother. But what do we learn about this, about Jesus from this incident? We learn that, as we've said before, Jesus is is like a never-ending spring of water. He gives life, he gives joy, he gives peace. And when we come to, to drink from that stream, he's most pleased, he's most glorified. That is what he wants us to do. He wants us to come and drink from him. He doesn't need us to serve him. He is God. He is self-sufficient. Later on in chapter 20, we are told that the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve, and then it carries on to give his life as a ransom for many. 
Jesus' greatest act of service was to give his life. His life was the cost of our freedom and our forgiveness. He was willing to pay that price. He died so we didn't need to. The woman in the story focused on her her immediate need, the healing of her daughter, but we trust that acknowledging that Jesus is Lord and that he had the power to heal, he also had the power to forgive sins, which is our greatest need. Well, as we come to a close and try and wrap some of this up with some applications, a couple of weeks ago when we started this sermon series on, on faith, we went to Hebrews 11 to get a definition of faith. And there we, we read that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And if we read on a couple of verses from that, we find a verse that sums up the passage we've been looking at this morning. Because verse 6 of Hebrews says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. In other words, they must trust, like the Canaanite woman did, that Jesus is Lord and trust that he came to serve She believed, she had faith that Jesus was God. She believed that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And the key lesson here is is that it is faith that pleases God. That is why Jesus had no time for the Pharisees, uh, because they had no faith. They they were too busy trying to keep their own rules and traditions, uh, making themselves good enough. So what areas of our lives... Do we need to have more faith if we have faith already? How do we trust God more? Well, next week we'll look at faith in the context of whether we trust in God's generous provision in the feeding of the the 4,000. But let me just touch briefly this morning on trusting God in the face of apparent injustice. Because this woman could have had a very different approach, couldn't she? She could have said, why can't I be one of your children? Why can't I sit at the table? Why can't I have all the privileges of, of being a child and get the, get the food that you've given to the children? That's just not fair. And sometimes our attitude to God may just be the same. We, we don't cry out, have mercy on me, Lord. But we cry out, that's not fair. What have I done to deserve this? Sort it out, Lord. And it becomes all about us. This story is not really about the woman. We don't even know her name. She's not putting herself forward and trying to justify why Jesus should heal her daughter. It's all about Jesus. She's saying, you are Lord. You are generous. Give me a crumb. Just give me a crumb. I'm happy with that. There are many things in this life that are not fair, aren't there? On Tuesday, Wells is doing a funeral for a couple uh, who lost their baby at 33 weeks. That's just not fair, is it? Last week, Liz and I went to a presentation on the work of uh, an organization that helps with prostitutes. Um, it's not fair that many women are trapped in that industry, that slavery still exists, even today. We may be experiencing something in our life that we think is just not fair. But if that is the case, then we are simply following in the footsteps of Jesus himself, who suffered the ultimate injustice and yet was vindicated by his father 
and was raised to life and exalted at his right hand. Our faith is not about God giving us a smooth, easy, comfortable life in this world. Our faith is about being rescued from the kingdom of darkness and being brought into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, where we remain forever and no one can take us away. And so what living by faith looks like is what we were reading about on Thursday evening in the book of Colossians. In that opening chapter, Paul was praying for the Christians in Colossae and asking that God would fill them with the knowledge, the wisdom, the understanding of the Spirit so they would know him better and be strengthened with his power. Why? He says so that they would have great endurance and patience and give joyful thanks to God. Knowledge, wisdom, understanding are quite intangible things. We can experience them for ourselves, but people might not see them in us. What they do see is how we respond to injustice. What does our faith look like then? Do they see endurance? Do they see patience? Do they see joyful thanksgiving in all circumstances? Those are marks of faith. And faith is what pleases God. And that is, I pray, by God's grace, what people will see in us. Let's just have a moment of quiet to um, reflect on that. And uh, maybe you need to call out to God for his mercy in a particular aspect of your life. Ask him for help. We've just seen that he is a God who wants to, to serve us. Maybe you're crying out for the first time, Lord, save me from my sins. Save me from not accepting you as Lord. And accept him now as your Lord and your Savior. Moment of quiet to speak with the Lord.